Hey, welcome to episode seven of the Letterpress Digest podcast. In today's episode, I talked to Aaron Beckloff and Andrew Quinn. They are the co-directors of the new film about Letterpress called Pressing On. Uh, many of you may have heard it. Some of you may have already seen it at many of the ways goose ways geese that are going on. Uh, but it's really a fantastic effort. It took them a couple years to make it. They they made it. They traveled around the country, uh, interviewing printers, recording their knowledge. Uh, a lot of them have been printing for a really long time, and so it's it was really important for them to record that knowledge uh, in a in a in an uh, older generation uh, and they it's it's really a cool story because they went from a kickstarter campaign to this fantastic feature length professional film that's both artistic and educational um, so i think you'll really enjoy our conversation we talk about that whole process um, all right so here we go Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. I am so excited to welcome Andrew and Aaron, co-directors of the new letterpress film, Pressing On. Andrew, Aaron, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're thrilled to be here, Jordan. Absolutely. I'm super excited to talk to you guys. So Aaron, can you maybe start off and, and talk about how this all began? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I became a letterpress printer about eight years ago now maybe nine, coming up on nine. And um, I started out as a hatch intern, actually. That was where I got my my base. And um, as I wanted to learn about letterpress, I realized that the internet was one resource, but I became involved in the Amalgamated Printers Association. And meeting one member of that group and then another was really how I, I figured out how to how to be a printer. And I think a lot of us have had that experience of learning from someone from the older generation or from a peer and just really trying to figure this all out. And um, some of the older generation are in their 80s and um, aging. And I began to realize that I was being told these stories when we were together in their shops or homes. And and I was doing audio recordings of them, but it really wasn't capturing as much as it should. So um, when I started grad school, a friend of mine said, well, you really should be doing something connected to video because this is such a visual medium. And he said, do you know anybody? And I said, well, yeah, I, I know I know a friend at Bayonet Media. So that was how I first went and met uh, Andrew and Joe and Kevin. So that was kind of the beginning of the project. I didn't know it would become a movie, to be completely mm -hmm. honest, when it all started. Yeah. Well, Andrew, tell me about that. How, how, tell me about that beginning. How, what was it from your perspective? Yeah, so um, I'm one of the co-founders of Bayonet Media. Um, we're a production company out of Indianapolis. We do a lot of commercial work. Um, we have some roots in documentary. We did some work for PBS uh, while the, some of us like were store, starting to get together before we formed the company. Um, okay. And we were looking for our first like feature to make. We've seen a lot of... Um, a lot of documentaries on Netflix and stuff that are like, well, we could easily make something, you know, of that quality right. or better. Um, we are hopefully trying to make something that was like different, look different than um, a lot of documentaries out there that are just like a person with a camera and no lights, that kind of thing. Um, so when Aaron came along, we were kind of primed. We'd had some people kind of come and pitch us some other documentaries, but it just didn't come to fruition uh, for whatever reason. Um, I think when you start to explain the logistics and like the budgetary needs and all of that, people kind of get scared away. Um, that didn't scare Aaron away. I don't know if it was just uh, <laughs> like maybe she's naive or just super optimistic. <laughs> I've learned, uh, but we, so we kind of like set off and it was like, we started to just kind of, She's introduced us to these two guys uh, in Indianapolis who are actually some of the like have some of the largest collections um, that we came across while making the film. And it was just like, well, look at all the like these really charming older guys with lots of like interesting perspective on things, um, you know, and then when you look at the machinery and see all of that moving, it, it was just like, well, this is, this will work. Like we've got the story with these guys 
and then just aesthetically like to point at a camera at the at at the press and watch it move around uh is engaging so you know we were kind of set to go from there yeah was this your first introduction to letterpress had you heard of it before yeah, so we made, um, I, I really didn't know, I don't know, didn't know anything about letterpress. Like, we'd done a little short three-minute video on a letterpress printing place here in Indianapolis called Falkenberg, uh, who have since moved. Um, and even after doing that, we didn't really get what letterpress was. It was just like, okay, these are like, this. this is this just how printing works? Because I had never seen, like, you know, how commercial printing works. They're very much commercial printers. Um, and then, so this was really like a crash course on on what it, what letterpress was and how, how deep we started to go after that. Like, I had no idea how I, you know, I, in three years that I would learn so much about it. Yeah, and, and by the way, so this took th- three years to make. Uh, I, I'm not sure, and Aaron, maybe you can talk about this. How, how did you... I guess you didn't know this would become a film, like you said, but how do you kind of stick with an idea that was sort of blossomed into this multi-year project? Yeah, I think there were, um, I mean, as as some people know, like Bayonet Media is a, a company. I mean, they're doing commercial work all the time. And right. I was in grad school and I'm, I was teaching full time at Miami University while we were all doing this project. So it was something that we were doing in addition to our regular lives. So maybe it wasn't full time for three years, but it was certainly um, a, a huge uh, time commitment on all of our parts. And we all learned. I mean, maybe we all thought it would take a little bit uh, less time than it did. But once mm-hmm. we were into it, we wanted it to be the best that it possibly could be. Um, and there are just a lot of phases to filmmaking that that I were new to me. And people that mm-hmm. Andrew and the guys brought in that have these specialized skills like color and um, and the audio, I mean, just every, every level of detail was covered because um, Bayonet cared so much about this project and about the quality of this project. So how do we keep going? Um, there was a lot of excitement. I think the community and people's messages on social media were a motivating factor. Getting to share the trailer here and there and get people's excitement. Um, that was really something that people really wanted to see the film. So that was uh, an easy way to be motivated was that that there was interest and we wanted to share that as well. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, oh, Go ahead, um, Andrew. I was just going to say, like, in terms of, like, keeping it going, like, it is a hard, like, I've got, I've started to get used to it or started to understand that the way it is is, like, filmmaking in general, even client projects or, like, a short film or something, like a 30-second commercial, if it gets done in a month, that's a pretty good average time. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you think, like, it's this long-term commitment, like, you know that's what you're getting into, I don't know if we knew that yeah exactly that it would be three years but it's (laughs) the fun thing is that it's always changing and like you know when we did and that three years is counting like from the picks or the kickstarter like when we shot the stuff for the kickstarter all the way to like that's a done finished film um colored like exported and done but like in between you're learning a lot of different things. You're learning a lot about letterpress. You're learning, mm-hmm. Aaron's learning a lot about filmmaking. Right. You're mm-hmm. doing fully reshoots. We did these like reenactments or we got these old like 1900s cars and location scouting and printing. So it was always, it's never the same thing. It's not like you yeah. are sitting there conducting interviews for, you know, or writing or anything like any one thing for all that time. The hard part is that, like, there's that three years, and then now there's been about a year of, like, since it's been... We finished editing it in October of last year, and now Mm -hmm. it's, like, getting out to the world. So this year of, like, sitting on your hands has been the hardest part. And that, Mm -hmm. if you count that, probably puts it closer to four years. Wow, yeah. Well, tell me about the Kickstarter, and and I guess how you guys raise... That's how you raise the money to to film this, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we... um, we ended up doing the first interviews like uh, Andrew was talking about with Dave Churchman and Dave Pete in Indianapolis. And they, the Daves become, became and are these faces of the film. And, and there's a lot of fun, like shorts 
of them that, that Bayonet produced and Andrew, I, I'm pretty sure, directed because they just have a lot of Andrew's uh, personality and humor <laughs> in them. Um, like them look, wa- watching Defont, like trying to navigate Defont and Lost yeah. Type and like these this older generation of that love 19th century metal type and wood type using right. these digital foundries and stuff. So, but the Kickstarter itself, we decided was the best way to raise the funds. We knew we didn't exactly have an investor, but we knew that there was probably a lot of people that would like to help make this happen. Right. So we launched that, um, I guess, in April of 2014 or so. And um, and that was the most stressful month of my entire life, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, just watching that ticker change daily, oh, hopefully man. tick yeah. upward daily, um, was tough. But it was another example of how much the community cared. You know, people donated posters or um, experiences, internships. Like you could go and study with Starshape Press. You could go and make wood type with more wood type. Um, you got a hatch poster printed by Selene Aubrey or another set of post a poster from other characters that were going to be in the film. And so the community came together and and wanted to make wanted to help this happen and 951 people gave gave us wow. supported us so um andrew said before like it's pretty funny that a film about technology that's 500 almost 600 550 years old was paid for through the internet like that's pretty yeah. cool <laughs> that is yeah. really cool well you you guys started you said with the daves in indianapolis so yeah. uh tell me about the process of finding people for the film Sure. Um, the Daves were a natural one, and um, I think they were really who uh, were catalysts for me when I became when I got started. So that was sort of how I began. Was I met Dave Churchman? I went to visit his boutique to junk. It's where I bought my first wood type font, and he's the one who encouraged me to join the APA, the Amalgamated Printers Association, and. Um, through those friendships, that was sort of how I started to meet people. But I really didn't know all the characters that ended up being in the film until we got got to go and film and be with them. Like Jim Daggs was somebody who um, in Ackley, Iowa, he's a commercial printer. He's the became this like bookend story in our in our movie once we got to know him better. Mm-hmm. And um, so I sort of started to add people to the character list as other people recommended who would be a good connection. And a lot of the folks are friends. I mean, I think that's right. really evident in the movie is the Daves have been friends for, had been friends for 40 years or more. And mm-hmm. um, everyone's very connected. The younger generation are partnered with older generation members like Jen Farrell and Paul Aiken's friendship. That was important to have represented. Just the connections between the community was really the foundation for who we cast. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a thing that was like, I mean, a very instrumental part of like Aaron's role in the whole project is like with us again, trying to find a documentary to make, having Aaron as this sort of like liaison into this other culture, you know, I always say that like, um, you know, if you're going to go on vacation, if you can be a guest somewhere, it's (laughs) a lot better experience than being a visitor. Um, You know, when, when you have a person who's who they already trust and know um, they're going to open up to you more than when you just like barge in with these guys and all this equipment and like, <laughs> Hey, tell us about your life and open up to us. Yeah. Um, you know, and then like she said, they, they would just start to pay hey, you, you know, you would see a print in their shop and who is this guy that made this print? Oh, that's Jim Daggs. Oh, well, you're going to be meeting him in like a week anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, okay, it was cool. And that was a thing, too, of like, I think if we had just tried to do it on our own again, if Bayonet had like just Googled it, we would have found the people. You probably would find Brad Vetter and mm-hmm. like um, maybe like Signal Return and Mama Sauce and like mm-hmm. the more commercial sort of uh, and Hatch. But the stories of these sort of underground people, you know, that Dave Pete and Dave Churchman are like these wizards that are in this like <laughs> underground that everyone who actually practices it knows about, but you're not going to find them on Google, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, with the interviews, um, because I was familiar with the, with the people and the process, um, it was also important to me not to not to not for my familiarity to like change how it was going to be plus andrew is an incredible interviewer like he just can get people to talk about things that you wouldn't really expect and i think 
I don't know. I'd be curious, Andrew, will you talk a little bit about like approaching how you you conducted the interviews? Because you did about two thirds to three quarters of them. And I just loved watching you interact with them on camera. And that's then what people get to see. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that that I think like these guys that were interviewing these blue collar kind of like like Jim Daggs, for example, like is this lifelong printer. Um, And like my dad is a machinist. Uh, my uncle is a prison guard, you know, like I, those like, uh, sort of like salt of the earth type, I don't know, like hands on type guys or people I grew up with. Um, and so I feel like I've ended like just going with my dad to like where he shoots trap, you know, in the winter and just getting to know these like these guys that aren't really portrayed in the media, the kind of person who you think isn't going to like, Oh, you don't want to talk to him or he, he's not going to open up to you. He's like a man's man. who's not going to talk about his feeling. Um, people I think generally like want to be heard. They want to have like their story told or like the, a moment to like, uh, if someone shows an interest in your life's work, like you're going to, oblige them and tell them about it because you wouldn't dedicate your whole life to it if you weren't proud so it in that way i felt like it wasn't that hard and just like being a curious person like oh what's this and tell me about that and you kind of like lead down you start to formulate an idea of like what is this person's story and ask them if they think that's true um but i don't know i think it was just like again i knew those people and then when we, when we went to interview the people who were like more from an academic setting, I, that was where I like, I mean, I went to college, but I didn't, I couldn't ask, I don't know. I feel like Eric, that's where it was great. We could switch it because she, she's kind of involved in that world. But then I would come back in and ask more of the like life, like the emotional side of things. Why do you do this? You know, how do you, why, why is this engaging for you? That kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, it definitely. Uh, I mean, I, so I've seen the film and uh, as I told you guys, I went, we live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a couple of days before um, there was a showing that we found out in about in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is like an hour and a half from us. My wife, seven months pregnant, you know, we hop in the car and, and go see it. And, and so it was, it was awesome. It was really fun for us to experience, but it definitely had that, uh, it felt very intimate. You know, like you were talking about, especially with those with a lot of, you know, with the Daves and a lot of those guys who've been printing for 40 or 50 years, they, they sort of open up and and tell you about their life's work, you know, and, and it definitely comes through, uh, which is really which is really it, it, as a as a viewer, you know, it gives you that intimate setting, uh, which was neat. But can you guys can you guys talk about the, the process of 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 these interviews of I mean, did you guys just hit the road for like a month at a time and just travel around and interview everyone. I mean, how did that work? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we did, everything happened in a different order than it actually ended up on screen, which is so funny. Like Dave Churchman was our very first interview and Dave Pete, and those were actually, we used parts of those for the Kickstarter, but then they became major parts of the film as well. Right. Um, and, and our first like major um major series of shoots was in the summer after the Kickstarter. And we started at the APA Ways Goose. And actually, Andrew was on his honeymoon. He wasn't even uh, there for that first shoot. Um, But then we headed up to Iowa was kind of where we started. And we ended up uh, going around to the Midwest. And we did um, Iowa and then to Chicago and then to Hamilton. And I kind of am probably messing up the order. But went down to West Virginia. That was a really fun trip, which we can tell you more about with Rich Hopkins. and then down to hatch. And so the the first shoots, the challenge I've learned, I didn't know this, really ideally we would have done all the interviews and then written the film from the interviews and then gone right back and captured the B-roll, which is the, the supporting footage. But because of time and, and budgetary constraints, we had to try to get everything in pretty much a day in a lot of cases. So it's like 16 mm-hmm. hours in somebody's shop doing an hour to three hour, if it's Dave Pete interview. Um, <laughs> and and then trying to also capture all of the, the close-up shots of the type or them working on the different equipment and, and just trying to do it all and really having a plan, but still having to be um, active on our feet when we were trying to, to get what we needed. So Andrew, I'll let you follow up. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, and that, it, so yeah, we did that sort of, like, tour, but it, I, the way I remember it is, like, we did, like, one or two, you know, we'd go to Star Shape, we went to, like, Chicago and Zion, Illinois, and then we came back, right, and then, mm-hmm. like, yeah. we kind of kept going, and that's, like, a thing that I love about Indianapolis, like, you know, the crossroads of America or whatever mm-hmm. is definitely true, because you hop on you know, 65 and you can go a few hours south and be in Nashville, a few hours north and be in, uh, in Chicago or, um, you know, to Louisville, wherever you need to go. So it was great because we could, again, with this, like, even though we had the Kickstarter, there was still like Bayonet was footing a lot of the bill, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, and just in terms of like, in order to, for the film to have access to like Bayonet's equipment, we have to like, play ball with our clients and come back and shoot a commercial and go back out. Um, but it would, I would love to like, if we do it again, just block out a certain amount of time. And like she said, go out and do like the interview circuit and you could have a smaller crew come back, write the film from the transcripts and then go back out and shoot your footage again. Um, but that was to me like probably one of the most enjoyable parts of like, it was just like, I, if, for a letterpress printer, like I, I feel a little bit bad because it's like again I didn't know anything about letterpress, and I basically just went on like the coolest tour of letterpress you could possibly do, <laughs> right? And not a, it's not like if you just walk go to Hatch, you know, uninvited, oh, yeah. you can peer in that glass window. But again, this thing of like being a guest rather than a tourist, yeah. it was like come on in and touch whatever you want and point the camera wherever you want and like oh you want to turn the lights off or come in after we're closed sure no problem like we know aaron that's great and then <laughs> now go over to jim daggs and like he's gonna let you operate the machinery like just because you're curious mm-hmm. and he's gonna like spend his whole day with you um <laughs> it was like it was really awesome experience to be able to go on this sort of circuit and meet all these people mm-hmm. and and to writing the story, like that was the part that I really enjoyed. I mean, I'd been to most of the shops, and but it was great to watch um, the guys experience it for the first time. You know, we all, when we pull that first print or we first see an, a linotype or an inner type, like I think that's something that most people remember. And so to see my partners experiencing that too was really, really rewarding and satisfying. But like writing the story, it was this organic process. So we had a, an idea of what story we wanted to tell. And Andrew and I have values that we both agree on in terms of like honoring trades and cra- the craft and, and the people. And um, But it constantly changed. So Andrew and I would usually ride together or right before we would like sit down and uh, write out questions. Andrew would usually do a call to start to formulate get to know the people better beforehand and then write the questions for the interview. But then as soon as we'd conduct one interview, we'd be like, Oh, well, Jim brought up this one thing. This is something that I think means something else. And we need to see what other people have to say about, about this topic. I didn't realize that there was this emotional connection to the, to the type and like that the type doesn't just represent. Um, I mean, then that's, Mm -hmm. it was, that's a weird example, but, um, it changed and we had to let yeah. it change. We didn't try to tell the story we wanted to tell. We told the story that the characters provided to us. And that was uh, really great. And we wrote the story, we wrote the film together as well. So we had, after we conducted the interviews, we had all that video transcribed into written form. And then Andrew and I from Ohio and Indianapolis back and forth could work on Google Drive and and share the documents uh, over the Internet. And then we would pull quotes from those interviews. And that was how we started to build the scenes back and forth writing the movie. Right. And I remember, yeah, Erin made a comment about like how she really liked how it started to come together with like you have multiple characters having this continual conversation even though they weren't there together, they're completing each other's thoughts or echoing ideas and all of that. And she's like, I feel like that's when it clicked for her that like the difference between either like academic writing or just any other type of like written writing versus like screenwriting, I guess, Mm -hmm. is that like, Oh wait, these characters are like coming alive and they're, they're injecting all this emotion in, but they're also like, you're, there's like a subtext to like, Oh, if, like these three older gentlemen across the country all have the same thought that tells you how important it is. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, how did you guys decide? I mean, you know, the, there's so much I feel like you can address with letterpress and, and, uh, you know, I wondered uh, going into watching the film, if it was going to be sort of an educational documentary or <laughs> sort of a um, more about documenting, I guess, what has been. So uh, can you talk about that process, what it was like to balance teaching the, the viewer versus just showing? Yeah. I, um, oh, I'd first just like, like to be kind of let you finish that thought of like what your expectation of what it was. And then if you could maybe describe, cause I'm just interested in what came through to people. Yeah. Like from your perspective, was it educational or was it like different than you expected? Yeah, I definitely thought, I, I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was, uh, I, I thought it might be educational. I mean, there's, I feel like there's a certain aspect that you have to, you have to tell people with letterpress, you know, like I have friends who ask me like, so wait, you, you do what, you know, like you, <laughs> you, you buy these hundred year old pieces of steel and you print on paper. Like, do you just, why did you just go to Kinko's? Like, why, why did you just get a printer? I don't like, why, why are you making it so hard on yourself? And so, right. you know, I, I have to explain, you know, like, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's different, but the same and it's the way people used to print and it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So right. I knew there would have to be some kind of educational, aspect to it. And I felt that did come through, but I didn't think it was, I thought it was more, uh, I, I have a hard time articulating, I guess, what you guys probably try to portray from a, right. an artistic, visually artistic standpoint. But I, I felt it was more visually artistic than it was educational, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean that, like what you just described, that thing of like, why don't you just go to Kinko's? Like that was sort of our thesis. Like after mm -hmm. looking at it, it's like, if you're there and you see it all, like, you know, well, duh, why I do it. Like, it's just, there's like this whole romantic, like yeah, other side to the thing absolutely. when you start to get your hands on it. But on paper, it's like, well, you, you, yeah, you paid a guy to bring out a tow truck and lift that out of a basement just so that you could make <laughs> a business card. What <laughs> You know, so that was the thing we wanted to like, in order to say, why in the hell are people doing this? You have to set up and you have to educate them. You're right. And that was, again, we wanted to make like, or I guess like the short answer is we wanted to make something that most people could go in and watch and enjoy, mm -hmm. you know, I, and as, like early on, we're like, well, we thought about like the documentary Helvetica because it's like a natural, like, okay, a documentary that revolves around graphic design. Helvetica is like a very specific, very, you know, documentary. It's very technical. Um, and the general, like, my mom isn't going to watch Helvetica and, like, take anything away from that because she's not a graphic designer. Mm -hmm. We wanted to, you could make that, that, that documentary could still be made about letterpress, I think. Um, but, like, our goal, or my goal, I guess, was to tell a story that was, that sort of transcended that. And again, that this idea of like a person dedicating their whole life to something and then it's, it becomes obsolete. Like that's my father's story as a machinist mm -hmm. CNC and all that stuff is coming along and he operates a lay. Um, so trying to tell a story that was a little more universal, uh, mm -hmm. was that was sort of part of my goal. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I mean, I value Andrew for so many reasons, but if I had made the film by myself, it would have been really boring and it would have been really probably <laughs> educational, yeah. even though I care the most about the people in the community in letterpress. Like if I had to say one thing that matters the most to me, it is the people and the connections between the community and how that's truly what's keeping letterpress going is, is supporting each other and not holding on to these trade secrets, but sharing them openly. I mean, that's, a, that's what you're doing too with this, with the podcast, like right. just trying to get as much information out as possible. And so Andrew was really good about helping me understand how this can be like the partnership worked really well because he knew what he thought would work well. And I wanted to make sure like technical things were correct and terminology. And I had the connections to the community. And so in the end, the, the film is, is what it is because of the two of our, our point, our perspectives, which I I'm really excited about how it turned out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I was going to say something else, but I can't remember. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, in episode four of the podcast, I talked to Harold Kyle and, you know, he's the president of boxcar. And so it, it, 
almost kind of he represents, I think, a, a modern take on letterpress in our sort of modern day. And and I asked him, you know, why is it? Because he helped start letterpress commons, and he's very mm-hmm. you know a big proponent of sharing information. And w- what is his biggest fear? And he's he talked about it's not the competition, it's not about business, it's it's obsolescence with letterpress, mm-hmm. you know. And and like For that's sure. that's such a fascinating thing to see this your documentary talk about sort of I guess almost the the present day sort of history of of letterpress and then just to see like you talked about the community there it is so strong and it's crazy that people share so much information so freely uh, instead of saying you know i know this is my proprietary this is how i print you don't print this way it's uh mm-hmm. it's been really as my wife and i have learned it's been really enjoyable mm-hmm. i i was gonna say that it's interesting now that the there's we've had I forget how many screenings so far, but really it's ramped up this fall. And um, getting some feedback from audiences of, of ge- a general audience, people are like, I didn't expect to be sitting in the theater with tears streaming down my cheeks watching a movie about letterpress printing. But I mean, the, how much everyone cares about letterpress and each other. I mean, we were we didn't fabricate that. That's all there. It's just right. I mean, it was enhanced with the music and of course the <laughs> cinematography but I mean it's true like Jim Daggs really caught us off guard during his interview and he got teary talking about helping the younger generation like we didn't expect that at all but and then when uh when Dave Churchman talked about talks about uh it's a world of my own making that was sort of I feel like when Andrew and I clicked right away like Andrew uh Dave said that it's a world of my own making and I bloody well created it or I or whatever it is Um, I like that world or I wouldn't have bloody well created it thank you yeah (laughs) And it's like, oh, yep, that's what this is. But it's not just about letterpress either. Um, Andrew's mom and dad were at one of our test screenings, and his mom came out and said, I really want to go back home and finish that quilt I've been working on. And that's what it's about. It's it's about people remembering that it's good to work with your hands and to do things like that because it's fulfilling. Yeah, there is a person, like, just to drive that point more, that they um Someone on Facebook said, like, I just got out and I was, like, feeling so inspired and wanted to create something. But since the movie let out pretty late, all I could do is, like, cook a really nice meal for myself. But <laughs> that didn't matter because I still got to, like, make something. Yeah. And I that's, like, my favorite, like, pieces of media, like a documentary I really like is um, uh, Beauty's Embarrassing about Wayne White and this like artist and if I'm feeling like creatively blocked, I watch that cause I feel inspired and it's like, I want to create something and it's cool that that theme comes through because it wasn't ever, we never put on a post-it note, like make sure people want to feel uh, <laughs> inspired. Right. And it's like, <laughs> right. It, it, it's just cool that that came through without like, there's never a scene that stops and talks about that. Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, so you, you talked about kind of your, your thesis and, and being approachable to everyone and kind of talking about why not just go to Kinko's. But having made the film now and you guys are maybe almost a year into, I guess, releasing it. So what is and each of you, I want you to answer this. What is the overarching message that you want a viewer to take away? You know, mm. Andrew, we'll start with you. <laughs> uh, I think like. I don't know. There's a lot of quotes in there that hit it, hit on it, but it's like, like Dave Churchman said that the, I, I, I don't know the the like Dave Churchman said a thing about like it's an examination of the past and hopefully something along the lines of like if we examine the past, it'll help reduce like errors of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like in part that because there's the whole side of like all this equipment like would be thrown away if people hadn't fallen in love with it or whatever. But I think it's like more so the, like the interaction of like, I don't know, like you, there's so much more to be learned from each other. And Mm -hmm. now we're in this like world of like people are sharing stuff and it's cool. Like there's all this creative commons and things like that on, on the internet where people are taking things and all and passing them around and, Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that we're like educating each other in that way. And mm-hmm. it's almost like it's, it's somewhat like the point of it is like, okay, I, again, I talk a lot about my dad with this project, but like between my dad and there's this guy dirt that we hang out with and like rebuild, restore old motorcycles. 
And it's like, it doesn't matter if the motorcycle gets restored. It's about the sort of like fellowship that happens around mm-hmm. that and taking the time to like get away from the computer and have a an interaction with someone else that isn't just um, eating a meal or, uh, I don't know, like you go to a concert and you look at the concert or you go to it's like a one way thing of like, we're there enjoying this thing together, but to like experience something at the same time together. Uh, Mm -hmm. that's something I feel like we were kind of like getting away from. And I think people are, you see little things popping up. Like there's all these tough mutter, like competitions and a lot of that, that kind of thing. And I think that's about this. It's getting at the same thing, like find a thing that you can, (laughs) <laughs> that you can find some people who stand each other, like can put up with each other and have fun doing it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that should be an easier question to answer, but I guess maybe mm-hmm. this has been such a long time coming and it all means so much that it's hard to say, but right. really, Selene at the end of the film says, you know, we need, it's really people, we need people to keep being a part of this. That's what's keeping it going. Like that's sort of her sentiment and that's so true. Um, and about the idea of, the human interaction is what Andrew's talking about, like um, having that face-to-face interaction and having this physical connection with the letterpress process um, is something that matters. And uh, being able to create something new is something that makes letterpress as a craft different than than other forms of making. But right. um, it's this it's this connection that we share. And I think I'm really excited that the film. Maybe this isn't what I want people to take away, but it's something that it's achieving that I hoped would happen is we told a part of the story. We showed a very, a small group of the community from the Midwest who are close friends, but they're representative of people across the world. Um, I'm really excited that we've gotten some messages from printers in um, one in Johannesburg, South Africa, who said that this made him feel like what he's doing is right. Having this letterpress shop when no one else understands why he's doing it, (laughs) where he is, um, that that there are other people that care about it as much as him. And so the film becomes this introduction to the world, to the general audience of what letterpress is. And then a letterpress shop can introduce themselves as a part of this, this community. And I like that it's becoming a way for them to introduce themselves to their own community and share what they're doing. And I hope that that helps people appreciate the work and the time and the care that goes into this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tell me, now that you guys have made the film and people are watching it and you've got screenings all the time, what is, what are the, what's, the ne- what's the next step? Uh, I know there are film festivals and all sorts of stuff, but I, I don't really understand that world. So what, what's the next step for pressing on? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's like the typical structure of an independent film is you find independent financing, you go shoot it, you release it, uh, you do the festivals and then hopefully some studio picks it up and they distribute it. Um, we're that model is like always changing. You know, we got our funding from the internet. So distributing it on the internet seems like a natural like extension. Um, so right now it's the sort of grassroots, like we're asking people to like submit a screening request, uh, and then trying to put together these screenings in different places across the country Right. Um, and then next we're, we're trying to, we're still trying to pursue some kind of like streaming distribution, um, alongside like a pay-per-view iTunes release, something like that. Um, and then, you know, and then it kind of just belongs to the, the world after that. It just, it's there for people to watch and talk about and share. Um, but that, that streaming component, like whether it's Netflix or Hulu or something like less uh i don't want to say traditional because that's not really traditional yet but like (laughs) there's all these places like vice land um that are doing like you know they're doing 24-hour content uh that's like sort of on demand and not so we're trying to find some place like that for it to have a sort of home and that's the best chance for it to like reach people who aren't seeking it out sort of like browsability and stumble Mm -hmm. across it right um, but then I think that continued like seeking it out, screening at colleges and all of that will continue for, you know, hopefully for five years or more, it will mm-hmm. like continue to make the rounds. 
Yeah, we've seen that. Linotype, the film, is still screening, and I think it was made five or six years ago, finished five or six years ago, and so that's great. Like, I think the film um, has, hopefully it'll have some longevity in terms of people seeing it together and continuing to have those conversations, which is where the screenings are really fun to bring people face-to-face with each other, even if they all live in Portland, maybe they haven't Mm -hmm. met each other, even though they're all printers. And so that's a a great catalyst as well. But that's small. I mean, those little interactions are extremely important. I mean, to all, to us, but trying to get it somewhere, Netflix would be awesome just to get it out there. And, and it, it was actually a good, uh, time, time wise, like you look at like abstract is on Netflix right now. Like people want to know how things are made and how people are the processes that people are using in in creative outlets and and production outlets. And so it's a good time to try to get this out there to the bigger audience too. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I would love to watch it probably countless more times on, on Netflix because uh, <laughs> now I, you know I find myself just have I saw it a few weeks ago and went to Caleb and now I'm like. Oh man, it, I really wish I could watch that scene again, or it would be fun to just screen it, you know, before we talk. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I hope that also that that would be very cool. Well, I'm really curious. Tell me about the moment when you guys clicked like save on the very final final version of this file. And if you're anything like me, you know, I, I go back and I save. I'm like, okay, that's final. I'm like, wait, did I do this? You know, I listen to like one segment. I'm like, oh no, I gotta fix that. You know, tell mm-hmm. me about that moment. Uh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it, it's almost like I, we definitely had like, so for us, the two of us to stop like kind of fiddling with it. And there's another editor, Dustin, um, who who was like a co-editor on it too. He, uh, you know, for all of us to say, that's it, you know, it's done. Um, that, you know, there's a great quote I hear from like Pixar all the time to say that their films are never finished. They're just released. And that's kind of like, what happened to us we were like it had to move on to sound design mm-hmm. and color correction and we had a date for that and there was like and then it has to be ready for ultimately the hatch premiere um and color is along yet another whole process so it was like i think it was like you i wish that there was a relief of like save you're done that's it why like, <laughs> like dust our hands off and like feel good about it but it was probably more anxiety of like oh no we're not going to be able to change it yeah it's it's good to finally i can watch it and not not necessarily want to make any more edits or changes like that's a huge relief i mean (laughs) andrew and i would sit together and um he was editing and we would just talk through scenes and we'd watch them in order and then take notes and then change things around and and make both major and minor cuts i mean and have to cut entire scenes because of time and deciding what what's really most important. And that's hard. I mean, it's that whole kill your darling statement. Um, the first cut of the film was, what was it? Four hours, eight hours. Yeah. There was yeah. a four hour cut and it's oh, like, wow. no yeah. one's going to watch this, but it's like, this is except the two of us. Like this. Yeah. Is awesome. <laughs> and so we did like a, <laughs> like a full day thing at Bayonet where we brought in some, uh, like we had the whole staff and bought lunch and then, brought in some other like trusted people and were like what's working and what's not because we're so close to this, you know? And, uh, it, it was, it became evident really quick. Like yeah. there's a lot of boring stuff going on, but, <laughs> yeah. um, which challenge, and that was like a great way to like ignite us to go back. And then we went, we did a test screening in Indianapolis and then I can't remember if it was like after that test screening that we went back to Iowa and we shot some more, uh, like basically a whole nother storyline that didn't exist, the Tammy and Adam stuff, like them pulling the press out. That was something we wanted to find. And then it just turned out that it was those characters who we'd already filmed with. Um, so yeah, I would, I wish, like I said, there was some like, okay, it's done. And like, she's like watching it now. Like I, I just watched it in Chicago and it played with graphic means. So it was like, the perfect this like grindhouse double feature of graphic design movies so it's a perfect audience <laughs> and it was really great to see that like people are gasping at the right time or laughing or like just i don't know the energy like is working along with it there's little pacing things of like oh we cut to that shot for too long but i'm <laughs> thinking that you know like no one else is so right 
Yeah, you mentioned Tammy and Adam and moving that press. I was so it just evoked such stress watching that scene. Uh, but yeah. ha- having been in similar moments, not not quite that extreme, moving a press out of a basement. Uh, but that was like you definitely felt those emotions of uh, is this going to go well? Is that thing going to slide back down? Yeah, there's a great part where he's like. He, in his interview, he kind of is like, well, it wasn't so bad. We got the tow truck or whatever. And then, like, cut back to, like, you hear it thud. Yeah. And if you watch his mouth, he doesn't verbally say an F word, but it's there. And, uh-huh. Like, the audience kind of, like, has a jump in their seat kind of moment there. And yeah. it's, I don't know. It was fun. And it was like, I mean, that was intentional. It was like, we need some, like, we can't just sit here and talk about, like, sit in a room and talk about how important all this stuff is it was like we need to go out into the world and experience some like i don't know fresh air and like some people doing things you know yeah and that that was a really great way to do that Mm -hmm. yeah there were there were way more laughs also in the in the film than i had anticipated i was just so many funny moments where i and you know (laughs) i watched it in winter salem and there was probably 30 40 people there you know and it's a small uh small theater and you know everyone erupts in laughter you know at certain moments it was it was but then you go from that to like you said jim dags who like and i like my heart just swelled when he talked about teaching people letterpress and he got so emotional you know and that was just it's so cool to see to have so many emotions in a film in a film that represents something that uh you know many people either don't know about or people like me who really enjoy you know i feel like it connects on so many levels Thanks. We're glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to ask you, maybe, uh, Aaron, you'd be good to talk about this. And, and I, I actually asked Jim Mirandis in, in a previous episode, what, what's up with all the letterpress printing in the Midwest? Why are there so many printers around you guys? Um, I, I mean, I think we asked people that during their interview, too. And the general consensus was that because the paper manufacturers and the press manufacturers and um, and the type manufacturers, a lot of them were in the Midwest that ended up being a hub for, uh, printing. So commercial printing, a lot of it was based in Cincinnati or Dayton was a big printing area too. Wisconsin's where a lot of the paper mills are and Hamilton was making type. Some of the other foundries are in New York and Connecticut, but, um, I think there's just a lot of equipment left here because Mm -hmm. as industry shifted, um, people didn't get rid of it. So printing, print shops just kept kept the letterpress equipment because they knew it was made well and they cared about it, even if they weren't using it commercially anymore. Um, I know that there's not as much stuff in the South. I know it's harder to find. And so right. stuff's having it, having to get shipped down there. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's sort of what I take away from where, why we have this thankfully um, plethora of letterpress, mm-hmm. a, a glut of letterpress <laughs> equipment, as Paul would say. Right. Yeah. Were, around. You, were you guys tempted to, to try to incorporate more people around the country? You know, I mean, I know California has a lot of sort of booming letterpress art and design uh, community. Were you tempted to, to find all of those people on the outskirts of the Midwest or were you sort of bound by your geographic area? Yeah, I would say like if, it was partially like that we were bound by sort of like our budget restrictions. Um, and then at the same time, like it, I don't know, it was where our characters were. We did, we definitely weren't like lacking for characters. And then I think just like, um, I don't know, maybe there's a like chip on my shoulder of like, you know, here in the Midwest, like we don't need to go to the coast to make our (laughs) film. Right. Like we, a sense of pride of like here is this going on in the midwest absolutely um oh and a sort of like uneducated maybe reason as to why so many people do it is because of like the long winters and lack of like beaches and mountains so we need some (laughs) time yeah Yeah. i don't know how true that is yeah yeah but i mean you're absolutely right like there are whole communities i was just in la for the ways goose this summer and the california i mean northern california southern california like they all have their own letterpress communities and i mean in portland the pacific northwest like they have a big hub of people but the good thing i've i've found is that even if it's not their people in the film they said like everybody sort of knows someone that's like 
Dave or like Jim, also probably named Dave or Jim because everyone <laughs> in letterpress is named Dave, Jim, Paul or yeah, Bob. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, seriously, though, people are connecting to it, it even if um, they say it reminds them of their friends, which I'm glad that it does. But there's lots of great people all over, I mean, both the country and the world. A lot of people in the United States. Letterpress is big here for sure. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And it but it's cool to to find out, as you were mentioning earlier about, you know, um I think South Africa. It's, it's cool to find out about letterpress around the world. You have no idea that people also have those printing machines there and are and are doing the same thing we are here in the US. You know, they're modernizing letterpress so it's it, mm-hmm. it's crazy to 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 get a sense of that and and this these types of events this kind of documentary you know it kind of bring that out you find out about so much of that around the world and then you kind of connect community so it it's just been i've i've been super number one just love the the documentary but also it's just i think it evokes a lot of it enhances the community you know it brings a lot more people together and unites around something that they really enjoy and and also educates people who aren't familiar with letterpress so that's uh, that's fantastic that's great yeah well look thank you both so much for taking the time uh i'm immensely grateful to talk to you guys and to hear about the 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 making of this documentary there's so many more questions i i would love to talk about um, but I, I think you guys have really summed up the the meat of that documentary and, and how it sort of really gets to to, to people. So uh, so thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks yeah, for thank having you. us. Yeah, and thanks for everything you're doing with the podcast. We're really excited to see what comes next for you as well. Yeah. Um, just if people are curious about the film, like they can visit letterpressfilm.com. Um, there's screenings there. People can request a screening. Um, and we're very active on instagram mostly and facebook also absolutely thank you both (laughs) thank you so much for listening Uh, i really genuinely appreciate it as always um to find links to some of the references made throughout the episode you can visit the show notes page for this episode that's at letterpressdigest.com forward slash seven that's for all episodes you just add the number uh, at the end of the url there that'll redirect you to that particular blog post. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity yet, you should definitely try to locate the nearest screening of this film and check it out. You can find those at their website, letterpressfilm.com. Uh, we will also all hope uh, it'll pop up on Netflix or Hulu uh, sometime soon. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, you can try to track down one of those showings. Uh, and the link to their website is also on the show notes page. If you have questions or thoughts about this podcast, you can always get in touch with me uh, through the website. And if you enjoy this uh, podcast, I would sincerely appreciate you taking a moment to rate or review it in iTunes. Uh, A rating takes all of two seconds and you click one through five stars. That's it. You don't have to log in or anything. It's it's really easy. Uh, The review is where you leave some type of comment like Jordan breathes too loudly or something along those lines. Uh, Ratings and reviews really do help more like-minded folks find it. Uh, It's sort of how Apple uses and and advertises existing podcasts. Uh, Anyways, thank you for listening and, and I will see you in two weeks. 